Vince back there giving me the pep talk before I come up here. <clears throat> hey, listen, you see, the, you see the screens up there. We're doing a, a covenant class next week. If that is something that you're inclined to, you would like to know more about the church, the, the heart of the church, the direction of the church, I'll be teaching a class next Sunday. You guys are welcome to come if you've never been. It's at 9 o'clock. It'll be held downstairs. Uh, the only negative part about it is you'll have to listen to me down there, and then you'll have to listen to me up here too. So you'll be double dipping, and so, you know, uh, if that's what you want to do, you know, you do that, but I won't be held uh, uh, accountable for your suffering. All right? All right? All right. Uh, hey, listen, we're uh, still in Exodus. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 9. And I know some of you guys uh, were here, uh, maybe you've been on vacation, you've had to work, you've missed a week or two or something like that, and you're like, man, Trent's still in those plagues? Yes, Trent's still in those plagues, that's where we're at. And so uh, we're going to be dealing with another plague today, but I want to read to you out of Exodus chapter 9, and I'm just going to read verse 13, and then I'm going to jump down, I'm going to read verse 35, Okay. And uh, these are going to be pretty familiar verses because they sound a lot like verses we've already read prior to God moving um, and expressing himself through a plague. So when you hear these words, you're going to say, hold on, isn't that the same scripture we've been reading? Well, yes, to some degree. And God continues to maintain uh, the course. He's not changing or shifting. So look at verse 13. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. All right? And then verse 35 says, if Clark would jump down to verse 35, it says, So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Father, in Jesus' name, we have read these verses to start and to finish. They sound so familiar to us, Lord, but it's the content between these verses, Lord, that we want to expound on and understand today. So as we navigate this scripture, Lord, open people's ears and hearts that they may receive, Lord, from you the thing that you have uh, appropriated for them today. I believe, Lord, you have designated things for each person that is here. And I pray, Father, through these uh, moments that are fleeting, really, that you will deposit these things into their hearts and their minds and their lives be forever changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, let's do a quick review because we're rolling into the seventh plague. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to touch plague 8 and 9. We're going to end in a dark place, if you will. And then we're going to finish up the plagues with the plague of the firstborn. So we're kind of getting on the back side of this. But we kind of got to get an idea of where we're coming from. Last week, you know, it was the, the fifth plague, and it was the plague of livestock. Y'all remember that? And God was dealing and administering and flexing himself in, in the face of uh, the gods of Egypt. And he, he dealt last week with Hathor, the bull god, and Apis. And Apis, uh, or, or uh, Apis was actually the bull god. Apis was actually the god who represented, so when he attacked the livestock, he represented the economy of Egypt. He was the one that blessed Egypt. He was the one that made their livelihoods uh, possible. 
And so and it, it, it wasn't just uh, the economic aspect of it, uh, but it was the leisure aspect of it as well. Now, you and I would never erect within our homes an idol or a statue of Apis, right? And say, we're going to worship Apis, the god of, of the economy. But you know, man, me just using those terms to even express this this morning. You guys know we live in a, in a capitalistic culture where uh, we absolutely are equally as guilty as the Egyptians were for worshiping Apis, as we too do the exact same thing. We won't call it that. You and I will call it the dollar. We'll call it education. We'll call it leisure. We'll call it whatever. It takes on a different form, but you understand the spirit of it is very, very similar. Not so much different happening in Egypt than what is happening in our lives today. Now, I'm going to share something with you, but I can't retell the sermon from last week, and then we're going to move quickly on to what God has for us this week. After the plague of the livestock, there was the plague of the bulls. Remember that? Now, this is for somebody here today that wasn't here last week or someone here who was, last, was here last week, but God's wanting to speak something specifically to you. I want you to, I want you to hear this, okay? And we're just going to move. This is what God told Moses. He said, go to the furnace. The furnace says, for extract the what? The soot. Remember that? Basically ashes, the remnants. Take it before Pharaoh... And you cast that stuff into the sky. And from that, I'm going to flex myself and I'm going to deliver a plague upon Egypt that they haven't experienced up to this point that's going to cause a magnitude of suffering that they haven't yet suffered. Now, here is the thing I want to share with you about that. What furnaces would Moses even have access to? Did he go into a kitchen furnace? Did he, I want to tell you what furnaces Moses went into. He went into the furnaces, accessed the furnaces that the slaves, the Hebrews, had access to. The furnaces where they were probably baking bricks, where a, a, a tool or an instrument of suffering, uh, that, that, that process Pharaoh had, had utilized to punish them because of what God wanted to do for them. Remember that? He made them bake bricks without straw. Remember that? And it had become a, a strange and morbid, uh, sadistic uh, manner of, 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 of torture and suffering for the children of uh, Israel, the Hebrews. God said to Moses, you go into those same furnaces, and out of those furnaces you extract the remnants or the ashes of your suffering, and I want you to hold that in the face of Pharaoh, and you're to cast that into the air, and he will suffer. And Israel will, or Egypt will suffer. I think what God was doing that day when they pulled that soot out was saying, I've not forgotten what you've done to my children. <laughs> I've not forgotten. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what you've experienced. But don't think for a moment God has forgotten about your heartache, your difficulty, that he's forgotten about what others have said, others have done, circumstances have delivered pain into your life. 
God hasn't forgotten those things. And if you're willing to trust God, he will go into the remnants, into the ashes of those days, those months, those years of heartache, and he will take that very stuff and he will use it as a measure of his goodness, protection, and provision over your life, even in the face of those who have caused those things. For someone here, that is something you need to take to heart today. Now let's move on to the scripture, okay? Listen, now let's get to today's sermon, Jim. Right? All right. And when all of that took place, God had spared the livestock. Remember, he spared the livestock of the Hebrews. Remember that? And then when the bulls broke out, he had spared the Hebrews. No, there was no Jew with bulls on them, only Egyptians. Even in light of all that, the scripture ends with Pharaoh's heart still remaining hard, right? So that's where we pick up. That's where we pick up. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13, 14. We'll read a large portion of this. Comment just on small fragments for we do not have the three hours that I would need to to cover all this. Oh, and I had one laugh, Halla Angie, and she knows I'm serious. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Now this is actually a response and a declaration that God is making regarding a question that Pharaoh had posed to Moses in chapter 5. You remember at the very beginning of this thing, Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, hey, Jehovah God, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Israel, wants you to let his people go so that they may worship him. Pharaoh's response to Moses was this. In chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh said, well, who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And what is God's response right here before he sends the plague of hell, the, the plague of hell, literally? He says this, I'm going to do this so that you may know that there is no one like me on the earth. Who is this God? You're about to find out. You're about, I'm going to really start laying down the heavy hand here. And I tell you, man, there's times in our lives that God reveals himself and his identity in, in, in expressions of mercy. How many people here have experienced God, a revelation of who God is because of his mercy in your life? All right? Now, Clark Evans has because there's been times that I've wanted, you know, <laughs> Uh, and, and he's received mercy, and he understands uh, the character of God, how God is merciful. And then there's other times in our lives, and this is more for Trent, Billy, because this is the way it typically works in my life. Though God has extended great mercy to me, but because I'm a hard-headed individual, God typically reveals himself, shows himself through discipline in my life. And when I say discipline, I don't mean punishment. I mean he teaches me through things. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And sometimes that's how he's going to speak to you as well. 
If you think you're going to know the full scope of who God is only by taking in grace and mercy and abstaining from the discipline of God, you fool yourself because the scripture says that he chastises or disciplines or teaches those that he loves. If you want to be loved by God, what you are doing is subscribing to chastisement and discipline. We all want to be loved by God, right? We raise our hands. I want God's love. At that moment, understand what it is that you have signed up for. The occasional discipline. And so God is doing that to Egypt right here. And he's, make, and he's doing this so that they'll know there's nobody like him. I mean, you go into 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, and the scripture says, For there is none like you. There is no God like you. And then in Psalms 86, 80, it says, There is no one like you. Among all the gods, there's no God like you. Little G and big G. And then you go into, into 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 14. It says, There is no God like you in heaven or on the earth. And this is what God has just said to them. You're going to know this. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, it isn't just that God expresses himself to a world to shake the world up so the world will have a revelation of who God is. From time to time, out of his love for us, he reminds us, and we need to be reminded that there is no God like our God either in the heavens or on the earth. Every person in this sanctuary this morning, those who sit in the narthex, those who are downstairs, periodically, we need to have a fresh revelation, Monica, that there's nobody like God. There is no man like God. There is no government like God. There is no power like God. And every once in a while, he just flexes. To drive that point home, Greg. And I'm telling you, there's times, man, when I feel like, man, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a little loose to the right or I'm a little loose to the left, and God jumps in there and he shows me, and it just tightens things up. You know what I'm talking about? The walk becomes tighter. And I am grateful. I'm grateful for that. And then this is what he says. Man, you'll talk about mercy. There's mercy written through this. And then the scripture says, for by now... I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. God could have done that. God could have simply went in there and he makes this declaration, I could have taken every one of your cats out and I'd have walked my kids right out of that land. I could have done it in, in a second. But there's something larger taking place here. It isn't just the delivery of his children. There's a motive behind, uh, of, a motive behind God, and it is flavored with love, but it's also flavored with a spirit of evangelism. And that's a term you don't typically hear in the Old Testament, but listen to what he says here. He said, I could have wiped you off the earth, but I have raised you up for this very, very purpose. He literally is saying to Pharaoh, and what that means right there, we're about to get to the evangelism part, what that means right there when he says, I have raised you up for this very purpose, he is saying to Pharaoh, I have sustained you. You're alive because I've allowed you to be alive. You're still breathing because I've allowed you to breathe. I have left you here and I've left you here for this reason. 
that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. That's evangelism. He's, saying, he's literally saying to Pharaoh, I've allowed you to continue living. I've raised you up. I've planted you in this situation. And it isn't just because of you. There's a purpose in what I'm doing here. Not just getting my kids out. I'm wanting to flex so they'll see who I am, but ultimately that my name might be declared throughout the earth. And I'm using you to do it. That's a powerful thought, is it not? Hmm. That my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Now here's what's cool, listen. God's name will be proclaimed with or without us, right? His glory is sustained and promoted with our cooperation or with our resistance, and sometimes both, right? As a matter of fact, some 1900 and some years later, the Apostle Paul says this, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're playing a larger part than you really are. And this is what Paul says. And he addresses this very thing. He says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, or effort but on God's mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It is the purpose of God. And so when we look around us and we see this chaotic mess, and man, if you watch TV at all, you know what I'm talking about, man. We're living in a world of dominoes, and you're just waiting for the first one to fall over and the rest to follow suit. We're living in a time and a culture and an era of utter chaos, and there rests above it all a supreme God who still is sovereign and in ultimate control. The, the wisdom, choices, and efforts of men will never derail the purpose of God ultimately. You and I, as followers of God, should rest in this truth. Don't lose sight of where God is, Nick. Nick gave me an amen. This, you gave me an amen, didn't you, Nick? All right. I love my brother Dick. Okay, listen, let's, let's go. Let's go. And then this is what he says. You still set yourself against my people. This is God's words being spoken to old Pharaoh. Silly old Pharaoh. Silly old Trent. Mm. Oh, how I've set myself against him at times in my life, Jay. You still set yourself against my people and you will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. At this point, man, listen, after you've seen what you have seen, after you have, have, have recovered from festering bulls, at this moment, man, you need to take heed. He says, give an order now to bring in your livestock. You got that, Clark? I apologize. Mm. 
We'll have to do something a little different here. This iPad, this technology has abandoned me. Where are we at? Exodus 9, 17 and 19. He says this. Now give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Now is that not the mercy of God? Is that... God is saying, you're literally only going to suffer in as much as you don't listen. Do I have to commentate on that? I need not commentate on that, right? No need. Move on, Trent. And then it says this. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. Now we're going to have to, we're going to, we're establishing something here. Because we have two different audiences, two different, or one audience, two different responses. May I say that? It says, those officials who fear the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. When we fear the word of the Lord, when I say, I'm talking about we revere, we honor the word of the Lord. We should, I like how the scripture says, they hurried. You and I should hurry to respond in obedience to God's word. Right? Those who feared the word of the Lord, those who feared the Lord, they did that. One, one response. And then the scripture says this. And let me, let me say this. There's safety. There's safety in following God's word. You know what I'm talking about? In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 and 8, it says this. For the Lord gives wisdom... From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk, whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. You know what? Wisdom, fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. We'll get to that. We'll get to that scripture in Proverbs chapter 9. Man, they feared God and they hurried. They hurried. Didn't delay. I like what Proverbs 9, 10 says. You guys have heard this many times. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? You've heard that, right? And the knowledge of the Holy One, that being God, is understanding. Now, that's one translation. The New Living Translation, I think, even renders it even sweeter. This is how the NLT renders this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Literally is the beginning, the groundwork. That's where everything starts. You build nothing without a solid foundation. And the fear of the Lord is that solid foundation. Listen to this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. People start making bad judgments on their life, making bad decisions and whatnot. I guarantee you, I don't care what they say. When you start making poor decisions in your life, you have neglected or abandoned the instructions and direction of God's word. That's just, that's as simple as it is. Listen, there has never been a time in my life, Angela, and I've made some pretty shoddy decisions, right? I've made some pretty shoddy, I said shoddy decisions. You don't say that too fast, you end up in a mess. Shoddy decisions in my life. 
that I have regretted. I've made some shy. I have never made a decision in my life. Never made a decision in my life to honor God's word that I have regretted. Never, never regretted that. But I have regretted not listening. And you have as well. That's not a secret. Every decision that has brought devastation and destruction to our hearts, minds, and spirit have been made in the company or the lack thereof the counsel of God. Go through it in your mind. Your, your, your memory Rolodex of bad decisions. And look where you are at spiritually. And I guarantee you it corresponds with a distance between your heart and God's heart and poor decision making. Okay. Okay, Trey, let's, let's, let's move on. It says, but those who ignored, ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. <laughs> when we ignore it, it's going to cost us. We've all paid. We've all experienced this. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that the hail will fall over all of Egypt, on people and animals, on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. Some translations render that as God rained down hail and fire at the same time. It says, and lightning flashed to the ground, so the Lord rained hell on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. You know, when you, you watch any of this uh, meteorology and whatnot, and you, I, I used to love uh, uh, watching TV shows on tornadoes. I used to love that stuff. You know, those tornado chasers are crazy. They're crazy. But listen, every man has that crazy seed of tornado chasing in them. And I expressed this just a few weeks ago. When that tornado, we had two tornadoes hit within a couple miles of our house. And I had my entire family, everybody, everybody that I loved, including my mother-in-law, down in the basement. She may have been the last one I got down there, but she got down there. No, 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 she was the first. It was her basement. I had to give her right away. And so everybody's going down there. They're seeking protection from the storm. And... That seed of compulsion to chase tornadoes has me out on the porch gazing into the woods as trees bend to the ground. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, Jim? Every man's got the, the I can call it the, the idiocy seed. You know what I mean? Amen. Amen. But, but, but when you're hey, 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 edit that from the podcast. Listen, listen. The scripture says the lightning was flashing back and forth. And you know what some of those studies say? And maybe the scripture kind of got the heads up on how this thing works. That sometimes lightning is connected. It actually shoots up. Comes down and it'll shoot up. Did you know that? Isn't it a, you know, that's, a, that's an issue of science that speaks to that. But the scripture makes that declaration way before science ever proved that. That there was lightning going down, there's lightning coming up. 
That's pretty incredible. Okay, move on. And it says, and it was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. This storm was like, unlike any natural storm that Egypt had ever experienced. Unlike anything. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields. Both people and animals had beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. Now, We've all experienced what I like to refer to as a storm curtain. You know what I'm talking about? You know when you, you're, you're going down the road and you see that curtain, that storm curtain. You know what I'm talking about? Where it drives a bone here and literally you can see 20 feet further down. It's just pouring down rain. And there's times that it will take you in if that storm's moving to the left or to the right, east or west. It may not. And you can just watch that storm curtain just move down through there. And you're dry. you could strike a match on the ground. It's so dry. 20 feet in front of you, it is pouring down rain. You can smell it. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? We've seen this. Rushing across our fields. Can you imagine the Hebrews as this hail, this enormous hail, begins to destroy every place around them. The scripture says the only place it didn't damage was the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. Can you imagine them seeing that storm curtain? Hail, who knows the size of this stuff? Killing man and beast alike. And listen, this is beast that the Egyptians had probably ascertained after the destruction of their own livestock more than likely from the Hebrews. So they probably went out and replenished their livestock from the abundance of the Hebrews only to have it killed the next week. And here you are, your Hebrews, you're watching this. And you're watching old Joe Bob the Egyptian run for shelter. And you're like, run, Joe Bob! And then you see that hell, that thing size of a baseball. And you're like, hmm, there went Joe Bob. Joe Bob's gone. Jimmy Joe, run! Jimmy Joe's gone. And you're watching this thing, man, play out. And I'm telling you, something in there is happening. Man, if you're a Hebrew and you're seeing this type of a flex, you're on the other side of that curtain like that, Tim. I'm with him. That's a pretty powerful thought. That's a pretty powerful thought. Now, I will say this because I've alluded to this every time we've talked about a plague, that God is dealing with a particular God within Egypt's religious system, right? Now, there's a God of the air who is called Newt. It's a goddess. You can look it up. It is spelt N-U-T, but pronounced N-E-W-T. But for your sake and my sake and for my own enjoyment, I'm just going to call that goddess... The nut god of Egypt. And so in this moment, God is flexing his power and influence over uh, the jurisdiction of the nut god of Egypt. And God is saying, no, no, no. I call the shots from heaven. I send the rain, the hail, the thunder, the lightning. You oppose me, you have to be a nut job god. Okay, let's, we're closing. We really, well, sort of. 
We're getting closer, closer. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. You say closer to it, it's like the first mile in a marathon, right? Okay. Hey, we're, we're closer to the end than we were when we started. Ricky's been chastising me over, over my long sermons. Sort of, not really. I love Ricky. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned. You're like, uh-oh. Oh, Pharaoh. Starting to learn. Sounds pretty good. I've sinned. The Lord is right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Sounds good. Just wait. It's about an inch deep. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you don't have to stay any longer. What he's basically saying is, is this. This isn't real repentance. You understand that, right? He is basically saying this. For we've had enough of this hell. We've had enough of this thunder. And oftentimes in our life, repercussions of poor decision-making the resistance of God will produce in our lives a sorrow, but not biblical repentance that is accompanied by real change. You know what I'm talking about, man. I don't have to fleece you guys and act like, you know, you're not down with what I'm saying. You're following me. There's times in our lives when we're just sorry we got caught. I remember as a young man, and, and uh, uh, some of this is public record, some of it is on God's record, so I don't know how much to reveal. But I remember there were times in my life that I was into some pretty shady activity. All right? And I remember I had people who cared about me, and they came to me, and they said, Trent, your shady activity is going to catch up with you. And I'm like, brother, I ain't involved in no shady activity. I said, they're going to lie to them. I said, I ain't, I ain't involved in no shady activity. What does it matter my car smells like Cheech and Chong? You know what I'm talking about? What does it matter? Why does it matter some of the stuff I'm involved in? Uh, uh, and I just sit there, and I denied it. I denied it. I denied it. It is what it is. I, I ain't in that shoddy, that shady stuff. I'm, not, I'm clean. And then I got caught in the vice of my own decisions. Those same people come to me, and I'm like, why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you warn me that this is going to catch up to me? They said, well, we did, we did, but you just denied it. And then when the vice was released and the pressure relinquished, I just went right back to doing it. It wasn't really that I was sorry and repentant. It wasn't that type of sorry. I just got busted and I didn't want to pay the price. You know what I mean? So it wasn't godly biblical repentance that leads to change. And this is the same thing with Pharaoh. He's like, I'm in the vice. Loosen it. I'm sorry I got caught just like Pharaoh. I'm sorry my actions are causing hell in my life. And then Moses replied, listen to this. When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. And then Moses says this. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord. What was Moses saying with that statement? We've established it earlier, right? 
Fear of the Lord does what? It's accompanied by action. You know what Moses was saying? Man, you ain't got nothing backing up your words. I know you and your people don't feel the fear of the Lord. I know this isn't going to produce a legitimate biblical response of repentance and change. Said God will have mercy and God will relinquish this plague, but you haven't changed. You just got caught. Mm-mm-mm. No real repentance. And without real repentance, there's no real redemption. You see, real repentance takes place in the heart. But it manifests itself in the flesh. You see, real repentance is born here, but becomes active out there. That's the reason, man. I'm, I'm not kidding you, man. That's the reason you'll come into churches like this, man. We'll have altar calls, and people will come down here, man. And, hey, hey. And they'll pour their hearts out or so they'll see, man, the vice of their own decisions has them trapped. And they'll cry out to God. And you, you take a step back and you think, man, God's going to really transform that cat's life. Because you're assuming those cries are born in the heart. But they never manifest real repentance out there. And just like Moses when he said, I know you don't fear God. When we come up here and our squalls and cries to God aren't accompanied by a genuine posture of the heart and real repentance isn't born there nor is redemption born there that's the reason so many people come to a place like this to pray and they get up and they leave the exact same way they arrived at this place because it wasn't real Jack it wasn't real and you're just in the vice I want some relief I'm tired of the hail and the thunder and so they go out there, man, they never practice that. They never let, you know what repentance means? Most of you do. You're, you're scholars. You've been studying the scripture long. Real repentance means to turn around. Meaning, if I'm going this way and I repent of doing this before God, I go that way. Real repentance isn't this, I'm sorry, God. That ain't real repentance. That's human sorrow. The vice is too tight. And that's exactly what this cat is doing. And Moses calls him out on it. Yet God gives him reprieve. Why? Because God's greater purpose trumps him. And his greater purpose was that he would be known throughout the earth and it would be at the hands of Pharaoh by which it would be done. So God relinquishes the, 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 the severity of that plague at that moment because he's still working on the bigger thing. Okay, all right. Proverbs 4, 23, I'll deposit this with you and then literally we will close. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. <laughs> Man, if you've got repentance and real godly sorrow born in your heart, man, everything in your heart is going to give birth to things in your life. Right? And so this is what the scripture says. Let's look at a little mercy. We're just going to read and close. The flax and the barley were destroyed. Now, this is kind of odd that this is in there, but it's just to see God's kindness, even in resistance. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had 
headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. I wonder who's going to be taking some of that with them. <laughs> when we head out of here, uh, I'd say some of that may be in the company of those Hebrews and the Egyptians who follow the Hebrews out of Egypt because there are some that do it. That's the mercy of God for seeing those, even the Egyptians who had turned to God and he's sparing to some degree provision for them even while their heart didn't yet turn. That should be one of those hallelujah amen moments in our lives. While we were yet sinners, he provided for us, right? He, okay, okay. And it says, Then Moses led Pharaoh, went out of the city, spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and the hail stopped. The rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. Pharaoh repentance contrasted biblical repentance. Pharaoh says, I'm sorry. Never turns. Pressure is relinquished, moves forward, and he sinned again. Are you with me? You're... He sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses, we're done. But there is something that I just read right there that I had not read and it had not been stated up to that point, and it's this. He and his officials hardened their hearts. Up to this point, it was just Pharaoh. <laughs> we now begin to see the impact that each of us have on those around us, right? We do have an impact. Everybody here, good, bad, or indifferent. And the question that you and I have got to ask, are we living the type of life in honoring God that we could say to that circle of influence that God has put around us, I want them to have a heart like mine. Is that what you're saying? Could you really say that? I want my children's heart to be like my heart. Mom? Dad? I'm willing to bank. If my son's heart is like my heart, then I trust what God is doing. Can you really say that? That I want my son to pursue pure things the way I pursue pure things? I want my daughter to value and esteem God the way I value and esteem God? Can you really say that? And be okay with it? Because before you know it, those around you begin to reflect your influence on them. Listen, I've been, I've told these stories. I've been down to that daycare when those parents bring their kids in. And I've seen some of these kids grow up, and I've encountered kids at different points. I've, I, I've seen kids at four and five years old who carry with them a level of criticism that their experience should not have placed in them. How is a five-year-old kid ultra-critical, negative, hurtful. How is that? And then I meet their parents. And I'm like, oh, oh, you're the stinky one. 
run into kids in junior high. You know what I'm talking about, Keller. You get kids out on the ball field, and all of a sudden you're trying to teach them some discipline. You're trying to help them. You're trying, and you're getting all this pushback, a hostile, angry, almost a, a chaotic type spirit. And you're like, man, where did this come from? Then you meet old Joe, Papa Joe, and you're like, that's it. Cats in the cradle kind of thing. Grow up to be just like you, Dad. I've grown up to be just like you, Mom. I lived under your influence. My heart is hard just like yours. I was in Sam's warehouse the other day, and uh, me and Clark Evans, we were picking up a couple extra tables for the ladies' ministry here last week. So we go into Sam's, and they, they got one of those carts. The table I was uh, uh, getting there was eight feet long. The cart was like four and a half feet. So I got half the cart hanging off, right? And so I'm dodging people, right? I cut out in that aisle. You know, I need those mirrors. You know what I'm talking about? I need, I'm looking. I don't want to take anybody out at Sam's. That thing's sticking way out there. So I got Clark. I said, Clark, go give me the green. Is it clear? Like landing the plane. Clark, like, come on out. Come on out. So we navigate, we're navigating our way to, we're going we're gonna to pay for this. There's no way we could sneak out and not pay for it. So we had to pay, it's too big. I'm just kidding. Just a joke. I got to wake some of y'all up somehow with a laughter or something. But we're approaching the checkout area and this lady sees me navigating this long table on this, this short cart. Clark, you know, I feel like we're, you know, moving to one of those little storage barns. You know, Clark, is it clear out there? And the lady who's up there at the, at the register uh, sees me coming, and she starts waving me in. I mean, she's doing it straight. All she needed was some flags. You know what I'm talking She's doing me like this. Come on. And I'm navigating this thing. I'm, she got, and I, I said, we're laying in a plane. I'm kidding with her. She said, you would have killed every passenger. That's what she said to me, didn't she? She said, you would have killed everybody. I'm like, I ain't killed anybody yet. So I'm sitting there talking. This lady done got crazy. I mean, she's she's and she got on me like she'd known me her whole life. And I just start laughing. And and you know, you understand what these people who work at these registers deal with, right? They deal with you. And and so they're dealing with you. You know they're at the end of themselves. So I come in and I'm like, you know, Janine Erickson may have been here, so I need to be nice, nice this lady. You know, our women's ministry lady may have been here, and she done uh, took this lady to task. And I'm just kidding. She didn't know that. So I'm going over, and I'm just, listen, the, the more I sense a little hostility, the sweeter I got. And I got loud with my sweetness, too. I did. I'm sitting there. Listen, she's as far away from me as that pulpit right there. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? You having a good day? She's like, Yeah. That kind of thing. And, she, and so we just begin to talk. And the more I talked to her, the friendlier she got, didn't she, uh, Clark? And then she said, you know what? She said, you've really brightened my day. said, we need to get together sometime and not buy you a beer. <laughs> That's what she said. And I, I, said, I said, hey, my sister, I said, uh, I don't drink, but I appreciate the generosity. She said, well, I don't drink either. I said, okay, okay. Then she looked at me she said, What's your name? Clark standing right behind me. 
I'm like, Clarence? You know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I say to her, I said, she said, what's your name? I said, Trent. She said, oh my goodness, I just tried to give a beer to a preacher. At that moment, I'm like, uh-oh. Right, she knows me. She thinks she knows me. She said, what's your last name? I said, Evans. She said, you don't recognize me, do you? And I said, no, I don't. Clark's standing right there with me. She said, uh, I bet we went to school together. I told Clark later, I said, that lady 10 years older than me, right? You know, she done wounded my pride at that point. I'm like, come on. You know, you went to school with my older brother or something. You may have known him. Troy? You know him? And she said, no, no. She said, uh, I think we went to school together. I, I, I pushed back in the car. I said, no, no, I, I don't think we did go to school together. I said, I, 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 she said, LaRue County, class of 88? I said, ugh. I said, we went to school together. <laughs> she said, Trent Evans? And I said, yeah. And she said, Stacy Kennedy. I said, come here. Dinner, Clark. And I just gave her a big old hug. She said, man, have you changed? Didn't she, Clark? And then she said, my sister died a couple years ago. Said it was really bad, said her husband had left her for another woman, and she died with a broken heart. So I talked to her. I'm just trying to comfort her. I'm just trying to right in the middle of Sam's warehouse. And in my heart, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, God. Let me deposit something here besides a payment for a table. I got home and I got a notice, a friend request on Facebook. Hadn't seen this lady since we graduated. Stacy Kennedy, friend request. I said, why the But in that moment, as much as I wanted to love and encourage this lady, you know what I was most pleased with? And it's not me doing this. Was that he was with me. And I could demonstrate to some degree how to step into a moment like that that seems a little friction, a little tense, and you can deliver in that moment in the power of God, his presence and his goodness and his sweetness. And you can literally change the environment. You can take a heart that is hardened and influence it through the spirit of Christ. And, and so... That's where we're at at the end of this. That's where we're at. The scripture just says that Pharaoh's heart was hard, and so were the officials. Yeah. What do the people around you look like? Are you okay with them looking like you? If you're not okay with your kids looking like you, 
your circle of influence looking like you, your heart, then maybe it's time for you to be a different kind of influencer. You see, because I don't want people to say of me, there goes Trent, he's hard-hearted, and look at his son. Look at his daughter. Look at his wife. Look at his family. Look how hard they've become. I don't want that weight on me, Dennis. I don't want that weight on me, Jack. And there's times, man, that I've had people, and many of you have done this, coming to me and said, uh, we just want you to know how, how proud we are of Clark. I had a mother just tell me just the other night, the other day, yesterday it was, she said to me and to my wife, I just want you to know that I love you. You guys know I love you. That's not even debatable. We know we're securing her love. She said, but I would love your son apart from you. He's that type of a person. And there's an element of that, Kellen, where I'm just simply saying, to whatever beneficial influence I've had on him, praise God, but thank God I've not had a negative, negative impact where I've taken and robbed from him and diminished this person. Thank God for the mercy of God. Thank God that God's goodness and kindness to whatever degree I've allowed it to flow through my life has impacted my children who at 19 years old today has walked under my influence from the very beginning. And it isn't even my influence, Ronnie. It's the influence of Jesus. And that's really what I'm saying to you guys, man. Are you allowing Jesus to influence you that you might influence others? Because he's, he's the only answer. Right? Right, Miss Penny? He's the only chance that he got. He's the only chance your circle's got. It's just him. Will you let him be him in you? Yeah, okay, stand with me, stand with me. Now listen, what I would normally do, I would give you an opportunity to come pray. And that opportunity is present. It's, I'm not saying it's not. But today, in light of the scripture we've studied, what I want for each of you it's for there to be something born so deep in your heart and in your soul and in your person that is so deeply rooted in the fabric of who you are that it doesn't just affect you here, but it affects you out there. Are you with me? That's what I'm praying for you this morning. And so what I'm going to do is, Miss Angie's still here. Miss Angie, come on up here. Now, you guys deal with what we've addressed today in the scripture, okay? I'm going to ask several of the ladies. Will the ladies come up? We're going to pray for Miss Angie. She's got several tests coming up this week, and then she's going to have some procedures done. And uh, Miss Angie has told me, you know, her, her mom and dad are no longer with her, right? And there's times that Miss Angie has told me, she said, Pastor said, uh, I miss my mom, and I miss my dad. And so she's going through a pretty difficult time right now. There's going to be a 
a few months that are going to be pretty, pretty difficult. And so when she asked me, she said, uh, uh, Brother Pastor, <laughs> at the end of the service, could some of the ladies come around me and pray for me, considering all these things? So I'm going to anoint her this morning. She's going, you know I love you, don't you, my sister? Yeah, I, I know you do. <laughs> sweet girl, sweet young sister. Janine, I'm going to ask you, would you, you're leader of the women's ministry, and I done called you out at Sam's Warehouse and everything else. Come on in here. I'm going to reestablish uh, in her heart my confidence in her because uh, I love Janine like my own mom. <laughs> She's a beautiful sister. Would you pray for her? Yeah, Janine, let's all pray for her. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for her, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, I just pray that you would allow that to rise up in all of us, Lord, to care for each other, yes. care for Andy, look out for her, pray for her. Lord, I just pray that that would be on our hearts to want the best for her. Yes. And never quit missing Mama. And your dad. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help her with those memories as she goes through these tests um, this week and in the future, Lord. And whatever procedure she needs done, Lord, we know that you have her best. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, touch her. The and doctors. Lord, you're going to use these procedures, Lord. Um, she just said, I love you guys. Lord, she's going to have such a peace. That she's going to be able to share that peace. Her brother sees it all the time. And others are going to see it. Lord, Lord. bless her. I just pray that you would continue to carry her with 